This is episode number 139 of Patrick Jones Baseball, and on this episode, we have, again, Alan Jager. This is going to be part two. Um, part one, we really dove deep into hitting, and Alan gave um, some awesome tips to, to different players on how to help them uh, combat the mental side of hitting. Um, in this, uh, in part two, we're going to talk a little bit more about Alan's background. I mean, how did uh, J-bands even like, come about. Um, we get into meditation and kind of breathing, and we also talk a little bit about the yips too. And Alan has worked with some players who have had the yips and um, has been able to you know have some really good um, uh, results from working with players with the yips. And he gets kind of into how he goes about doing that. Um, I want to kind of uh, let everyone know that my course, my high school coaches course, is finally out. Um, if you would like to go uh, see it or check out the just the sales page, um, you can go to patrickjonesbaseball.teachable.com. Um, the link's also on my Twitter, um, Instagram, which are both at pjonesbaseball. Um, or if you have any questions about it, just head on over to, um, you know, I guess my website, patrickjonesbaseball.com, and the online courses um, page is up top. So um, we already have a couple people who have already um, looked at the course and have bought it and have been able to, um, you know, say some, give some feedback. Um, Tim Held from Moeller said that this high school coaches course provides coaches the resources to implement assessments, technology, and training into their program based on all of Patrick's resources and contacts within the game. So that's Tim Held from Moeller High School. Um, so head on over to uh, my website, patrickjonesbaseball.com, and click on the online courses, and it'll be right there. If you have any questions, just you know, make sure to email me, DM me. I'm easy to get in touch with. So, without further ado, we are now live with Alan Jager. All right, we are now live with Alan Jager of uh, the infamous J-Bands. Uh, Alan, thanks for coming on today. Hey, thanks a ton for having me. I appreciate you having me on, Patrick. So I actually was, um, I know we, we spoke yesterday as well, and I was kind of explaining that uh, I first kind of came across the J-Bands uh, several years ago um, and as a position player and it just loved them, loved the, uh, the, the program you guys have put together. I saw first found out about it from the Trevor Bauer video that was online of him throwing, you know, 150 yards. How, how did all this kind of come, come about for you? Um, well, for starters, um, <laughs> it's funny. He said 150 yards. I was like, and that's, that's actually pretty close, but, uh, maybe 120, <laughs> No, it just sounded funny because I, I did. The, I, I'm a numbers guy, so I, immediately I started about 450 feet. <laughs> <laughs> and I actually think down at the ranch, he had the record about seven, eight years ago. I think he got to 387, something like that. But I actually had him at a spring training game when he was with the Diamondbacks. Um, I, I, it's one of the furthest balls I've ever seen throw, and I the. They actually wrote in the paper the next day that they estimated he was at the 400 feet. Um, yeah, it just didn't look right. But, um, yeah, as far as how I got into – I'm sorry, the question was about J-bands long time. Was it about J-bands? Yeah, just, I guess maybe just kind of a uh, just background of kind of how this all, all came about, of, of, of just everything that, that you're doing today. I kind of just, you know, brief summary of how it all came about. 
Yeah, I started, uh, as we talked the other day, I started in the mental game. Um, I was a pitching coach at a local junior college, LA Mission Junior College, and um, and I was heavy, heavy into long toss, and, and I started getting into yoga and meditation, and I started writing a book uh, in the early 90s that came out around 94, and um, the book is basically called Getting Focused, Staying Focused, and it was uh, basically an Eastern philosophical approach to sports and life because I got heavy into meditation, heavy into Zen, uh, yoga. And what I did is I just really started teaching the mental game from that perspective, which to me, I, I love because I felt like um, Zen, for instance, it's really about using your instincts and not thinking and going with the flow. And I just I fell in love with it because to me it uh, epitomized really not only where you want to be as an athlete, it epitomized where you want to be in life because we all want to get really good at just being instinctive, being spontaneous, trusting our, trusting our intuition. Um, so the mental game was really um, the first big push I had, even though I was doing lessons and teaching pitching and, and really teaching long toss. Um, and then um, I'd say around 95, uh, it's funny, I've told the story a few times now. Um, I met Perry Husband, who people know him for effective velocity, but Perry has done tons of things in the game. And it's a long story, but basically through Perry, I really started getting interested in band work. And he had these essentially what are the J bands, but they were called Weisolators and uh, um and so we just sort of picked up on it, and then we started really pushing it with our players because it made sense. You know, it's sort of the concept of prehab versus rehab. You know, all these wonderful exercises you do after you've had surgery to get really healthy and strong again. <laughs> you know, it was a, it was a, to me, it was a really cool, idea, you know, concept of well, why not do that before you got in the throat? And also, you got to remember, I have a yoga background, so when it comes to stretching and flexibility and range of motion and oxygenation and blood flow and all that good stuff um it just just made too much sense so it really started out in, innocently with the j bands speaking of j bands because i just would buy enough from perry for my own private lessons which might have been you know five to eight a month or something and it really happened it it really grew i should say organically uh, it wasn't uh it wasn't something I one day said, hey, I think we can sell, you know, a ton of J-bands. It was really more just th these things are amazing. And and I think it's as much a, a word of mouth and, and, and ultimately it's just really how well they work. I mean, look, at the end of the day, no matter what you do in life, if something has a profound effect on you, um, it's going to sell itself, right? Right, right. So I'd say that was sort of the, that's really where the mental game met long toss, met J-bands. Um, yeah, and then I stopped, I got off the field around 94, and I just wanted to go kind of on my own and, and really start to spread the word, if you will. And, uh, and I was really working in, you know, three major areas. I was working in arm care and, and long toss and, and what well, you can say pitching too. I was working, of course, first and foremost, starting with mental game. And then I had, and I was bringing yoga into all of our training programs as well. So um, it was a cool time because I feel like those were three highly neglected parts of the game. 
And those are three parts of the game that I think everybody would agree are essentially the most important parts, you know, <laughs> um, because you have to be healthy first to play a sport. And to me, mental health is obviously number one. Two is physical health. And then three, as a baseball or softball player, um, injury prevention and arm health and arm strength is obviously critical. So I sort of fell into three parts of the game that I just feel like were, you know, just essential, obviously, to to the game. And, uh, and so I guess that would be my four-minute summary. <laughs> uh, speaking of meditation, have you ever done transcendental meditation? I have, but... I haven't really done it formally. Um, ironically, one of the teachers I work with and, and get so much out of as a TM background. Um, and I like the, I, I like the concept behind it, um, you know, having a mantra and, and what, and, and so on and so forth. But I, I can't say I like, I've really done classes. I, I, I actually think I, I have done a class or two where there was a TM teacher and, I did work on a mantra, but part of what I do with my own meditation is sort of mantra based in a way and um, or mantras are, are, you know, applied at points or integrated, um, but very, very popular. I mean, I think there's TM centers around like there might be a thousand or five thousand TM centers all around the world. Yeah, I don't um, I guess we'll, we'll get we'll start talking a little bit more about kind of how you like to do your meditation and and you know applying that to um to players but i know like transcendental it's 40 it's 20 minutes in the morning and 20 minutes at night so 20 minutes before breakfast and then 20 minutes at night as well um it just it sometimes seems it's tough to kind of find that 40 minutes during the day even though you know i find myself procrastinating and i i definitely could it's just I don't know. Forty minutes just seems like it's a long time every single day to, to, to do meditation. Well, here's how I would spin it, um, because it's a challenge for everybody. Um, unless you, I think, get to a point where it's not only part of your team, but you sort of um, seek it out because you you want to be in a certain headspace and you want to feel your body feeling great. And, and I think that a great analogy I've heard a lot about meditation in general and the discipline to do it and the practice is that it's sort of like if you, if you were behind a, a, a train and you had to push the train on your own, um, obviously it's a train that you could probably, you could move, but I'm, I'm trying to give an extreme analogy. You know, at first you have to use a lot of might just to get it going and it moves an inch, moves a second inch, it moves a little bit more and you keep pushing and then all of a sudden it's the wheels start to turn and then there starts to become momentum and then the train has a chance to start rolling. And I find meditation to be that way because I struggle with that too. Um, I feel like the one thing I've done very well over the last basically 30 years is I've, I feel like I've stayed in touch with my practice well. Not that there haven't been times where I've gone away from it, you know, a little bit here, a little bit there, but um, it's it is a part of my life. It's a it's a fundamental piece of my life, and I and I do feel like when I've been in my best states of mind by far, whether it's playing myself sports or speaking or having better vocabulary in my head, it's just amazing how I feel like things flow better 
um, when my practice is strong. And, and I think that, look, 40 minutes, you know, if you sleep eight to nine hours, um, let's say you sleep eight hours, which I think it's recommended to sleep nine, but let's say you get 16 hours of, of playtime in your day, you know, 40 minutes is almost one sixteenth. It's almost, it's probably close to 5% of your day. So, you know, it, it, it is a commitment. Um, it takes a lot of discipline, but I think that what happens again is that when you get into a practice and a routine and you start feeding off it and you start noticing the benefits, um, it becomes something you just want to do. And that's the, obviously the ultimate place to be. So, um, I think it just starts with 10 minutes. You know, you just want to establish consistency every day. You want to make it, you know, doable. You want (laughs) to... You know what I mean? You want to make it something that feels like you can accomplish it without stress. Um, but I do think at some point it calls you because it is quite a, a contrast um, between the meditative state and, and how that can really help you feel and not meditating and really being out in the world and vulnerable to so much stress and stimuli out there. And this doesn't mean you can't live a peaceful, flowing life without meditating. What I'm just saying, and generally speaking, I try to speak more in broad terms, that I just think the average human being, if you look at what goes on every day in life, whether it's the social media, whether it's cell phones, whether it's the news, whether it's traffic, whether it's phone, the phone ringing, it, there's a lot of stuff. And we haven't talked about sports yet, right? All the things that go on in sports, right? The the rankings and the recruiters and the scouts and the batting average and the ERA. So there's so much stuff, you know, for lack of a better word, noise. And what we're trying to do in the mental games, we're really trying to get to a quiet place because the zone state is quiet. Not that there's not noise going on outside of you, but it feels very quiet. And so I think that's really maybe a good lead into the whole idea of the mental game and why meditation and the practice is so important. It's, it's not because you can't live a healthy, happy life without meditating. But look, we're in a day of analytics, right? So if we just crunch the numbers and do the math, <laughs> there's just a lot of variables out there in the world that seem to be promoting a lot of noise when we're really trying to get to a quiet place. So going off of that, um, from a position player standpoint, hitter standpoint, what's a good way to start practicing that and implementing that? Well, for starters, I would do with hitters what I would do with any other athlete or any other person. Your baseline is going to be about breathing and meditation and getting quiet and learning how to clear your mind and learning how to not attached to your thoughts. If thoughts come in your mind, learning how to let them go because thoughts are what really takes you into the future and the past and the worrying and the stress and the batting average and the ERA. So first thing I want them to do is just learn what it means to stop and get quiet and relax and breathe and, and, and let their mind decompress, let their body decompress. So, you know, step one is always going to be the practice of just starting to get quiet, calm down, slow down, because once that's in place, then we can do a lot of other things. What, what have, have you like worked with um, individual hitters, whether going over their fears or like, what have you done on like a one-on-one basis when working with a hitter? 
Yeah, so back in around 1990, um, I started working privately with players and I eventually had a, a camp um, that I had players for eight weeks before spring training. Um, ironically, my current business partner uh, was in was playing at the time. And um, one of my first students was Mike Lieberthal, who ended up playing in the big leagues for a really long time. I think he caught more games for the Phillies than anybody else. So he had a great career. And I started with him after the year after he was drafted. And so we did some private mental work. But my partner, his name is Jim Batcher and, and Mike Lieberthal. Um, those are two of the guys that really I was able to practice, so to speak, and, and, and play with these drills. And um, so I had a chance to be around them, uh, Mike, for probably 10 years, my partner forever. <laughs> so, you know, the feedback was was powerful. Um, I got to watch it over a two-month span, in some cases maybe longer. Um, so I was getting incredible applicable field work, if you will. And so, look, whether it's fear, anxiety, stress, swinging at the wrong pitch, overswinging, overthinking, um, poor pitch selection, wh whatever athlete, whatever hitters do, it all comes out in the wash, right? So it's all going to come down to can you get quiet, can you get clear, and can you stick to your game plan? So to answer your question is I wouldn't say necessarily I had a, a hitter call me and say, hey, I have this fear, or I have this anxiety. Um I looked at this as more, and I do the same thing with pitchers. I do the same thing with a golfer. I do the same thing with an actor. At the end of the day, we have to get them quiet, clear, relaxed, present, and in tune with their plan. And if they do all of that, the rest takes care of itself. Because fear, anxiety, worry, stress, overthinking are all a byproduct of not being in your plan and not being in a quiet place. So... I look at the, the, the mental approach, what, what we call the process, and the mental practice itself. I look at those two things as sort of, that is your, that's your approach. I use the term process a lot. And once you really are in tune with your process, everything else is drama to me. So everything else is just a term or a label basically describing something similar. You've left your process. You've left your approach. You're now into the thinking world. And the thinking world can create fear, can create anxiety, can create worry, can create the future, can create the past. It can create a million interchangeable variables. And what we're trying to do is get the athletes out of the variables and get them to a few constants. And then just be, I use this all the time, Bruce Lee, 10th degree black belt at your process. That is the bottom line. Because all athletes, I've learned this, they know very quickly what their process is. And if they don't know it right away, it won't take long. But they'll figure out the one, two, or three things they need to do to have a successful at-bat or make a successful pitch. They just have to identify it. They have to be aware of it. And then once they're aware of it, they then realize, oh, there's all these other things called variables that my mind has been spending a lot of time focusing on just because I didn't know what I didn't know, right? So it comes down to when you do something well, like when you have a good, like it, you need to go back and, and tell yourself or ask yourself, you know, what did that feel like? What did it feel like? And also, what are those constants? So I'll give you a very simple example. Whenever I do a, uh, sorry, 
whenever I do a a talk or work with someone individually, what I'll do is I will tell them what my process is if they if they don't quite understand exactly what I mean. And and I and I like I like to do it anyway just to give them some some insight um, or some direction. So for me as a hitter. Um, believe it or not, I hit until I was 45. <laughs> I pitched until I was 45 too. Wow. So I played, a, I had the opportunity of playing a lot of games while I was working on my own mental game, if you will. And for me, taking a deep breath before I got in the batter's box was massive because it helped to connect with my meditation practice, right? My breath means a lot more to me than just taking a deep breath, even though that's not a bad start. That's a good start. But my breath also meant my breath also meant to me it's a, a home kind of you know home feeling like oh I, I I sit with my breath in meditation each day that's a calming relaxing you know intimate place with myself so I'm already triggering I think some very deep you know pathways if you will um, or associations well secondly the breath is a reminder to come to the present moment. And also the breath is an instinct and it's not a thought. So these are all things working for me with my breathing. So the, the breath actually has countless powerful benefits. Secondly, I was a hitter that I really wanted to see the ball well because I've yet to meet a hitting coach that wouldn't probably agree that the most important thing of being uh, to hitting is seeing the ball well. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> if you don't see the ball well, we're in trouble, right? Yeah. So to me, seeing the ball well was my next mantra, if you will. Um, by the way, one of the best benefits of meditation is helping you to clear your mind. Another great skill to work on in meditation because you need to see the ball well as a hitter. My third thing, once I said to myself, see the ball well, is I knew that I wanted to hit the ball hard. And I had kind of a mantra, hit the ball hard somewhere because pre analytics and pre-launch angle you know for me the art of hitting was hitting the ball on a line or squaring it up well um that just is how i was built and so i like the idea of hitting it somewhere because then it didn't kind of pigeonhole my brain into like having to pull something or you you know you're a hitting guy i don't need to tell you this but for me it, it really worked it kind of freed me up and so that was my mantra Breathe, see the ball well, hit it hard somewhere. And I've learned, and I learned <clears throat> from years and years of practice and just knowing myself that if if I'm living in that space for three hours on a Sunday, I- I'm going to have the best at bats in my life. Period. There's just there's nothing else to talk about or think about. There's nothing to add. There's nothing to take away. Um, those three things, as you might guess, is like at first you have to learn to get on a bike and pedal and then eventually you ride the bike. So, of course, at some point, those things ideally become unconscious. It's just a quick moment, a reminder, take a breath. I, I may not even be thinking see the ball well and hit it hard anymore. It's more of a default, right? That's the idea. So long answer short is or long, long short answer long is. The, I want to get to a point with the athlete where, yes, they have these few constants they default to, to, no matter what happened on the pitch before is irrelevant. They just come back to those three things. And I'm not saying it's irrelevant, meaning, you know, you just got a fastball in, 
you know, to have a, an instinct based on the pitcher's pattern, he's going to throw a breaking ball away. I just mean, no matter what I decide I'm going to look for in the next pitch, I've got to default to those three things, like Bruce Lee, 10th three black belt, because I've already decided that those are the three keys of me having the best at bat of my life. So what else is there to think about, right? Right. No, I, I definitely agree. Um, have you noticed that um, – some people who maybe have had um, in the past, um, you know, maybe like I wouldn't say uh, just like past experiences that that's made it more difficult for them to kind of get over the hump a little bit. Like I might say like trauma, but I have heard before that sometimes past experiences, um, uh, you know, kind of can, can clog up the mind um, doing various um, whether it's throwing or hitting or whatnot. Absolutely. Um, but again, this is where meditation comes in to let go of old programming, right? Because that's what it is. It's old programming, right? So what is it? What can you do in your meditation practice to where if old fears come up or old threats come up or old thoughts come up, that you allow them to be there so they can kind of breathe out of your system. You can actually release it instead of what happens. The reason why things stay in people's bodies so long is because stuff may come up. And then you engage it or you worry about it or you try to block it out or push it away. And what happens is is that you're, what you're doing is you're sort of like engaging it and you're, you're almost giving it like more power, um, giving it more relevance. So that's a good example of where meditation can help you allow thoughts to come up, worries to come up, and not engage them and not, not, you know, not push them away, but let them sort of – be heard and let them kind of work their way out. It's like therapy, you know, let it, let it come out. And then all of a sudden you have a chance to be in a new space where you're not, you don't feel that threat anymore and you don't feel a need to respond to that. Where if you don't, aren't aware of that, what can easily happen is, is that it's sort of in the background. It comes up, you fight it, you play with it, you worry about it, you try to get, get rid of it. And yeah, you do what you can in the moment so that you can get back to a, a you know, a centered place. But that's number one. Number two, even if, let's say, you're not quite sure how to, you know, release it through meditation. Um, and that's, this is where people, you know, like sports psychologists are very helpful, you know, get stuff out, you know, heal the past, you know, process the past. Right. Um, but but the other reason I love the process so much, like these three constants, like, you, you know, I've been talking about is because what it does is let's say a negative thought does come up from the past, right? Something that you've like bases loaded, let's say you're over 20 and you know it. And so the bases are loaded, you're walking to home plate. And now this old pattern comes up like, man, I, I, I'm over 20 and I, and I, and now you're pressing and now you need to get a hit. And that's not a great place to be, of course. And you want to get a hit and you don't want to, you don't want to get out, right? All that self-talk. Well, here's the cool thing about the process. That negative stuff can come up through practice, you learned not that it doesn't exist because it came up, but you just say, oh, it's there. But wait a minute. Let me breathe. I need to see the ball well. I need to hit it hard somewhere. Right. And then maybe the thought comes up again and you're like, oh, that's OK. I'm not going to block it out. It can do it at once. I need to breathe. I need to see the ball well. I need to hit it hard somewhere. And what happens is you give yourself a chance to create new programming. Right. Groove new muscle memory, if you will. Change your neural pathways. 
But to me, this is why the mental game is so powerful because you're bringing up great points. And if we don't have any education about this or we don't have people telling us what we don't know and bringing this to the surface, well, we're expecting players to go out there even if they take a thousand hacks a day and get really good at the swing. And even if they're mentally tough, but they get out to the field and there's old programming come up that they don't know how to deal with. And, and a lot of people don't even, aren't even aware of the old programming is there, right? I mean, they may sort of know that they have kind of a, you know, whatever, a little fear, but they may not realize that they stress out more when there's a scout in the stands versus there's no scouts in the stands, right? I mean, they may notice the scouts in the stands, but do they really notice to the degree it's affecting them? So I love the process for many reasons. One of them is, is it gives you sort of that, that nail that you're just hitting the top of the nail over and over into the, into the wood. You don't want to look left or right. You just want to hit the center of the center of the nail. You want to come back to your process. You want to be Bruce Lee, 10th degree black belt. You want to crush those three constants. Nothing else matters because anything else that you get into is just drama. It's just stuff. And it could be old programming too. So, um, so I feel like, yes, whether it's an old pattern that comes up or whether it's thinking about the future or thinking about the batting average, to me, it's all more or less in a very similar category. It's drama. And yes, old programming can feel like it has a lot more power. But at the end of the day, it's about letting go of the stuff and redirecting your attention where you want it to be, which are the three things that you believe intrinsically are going to lead to the best at bad of your life. So do you believe that if if um if a player is really committed to this and you know does it, you know, every day that they can pretty much get rid of it? I do, but I would say it a different way. Instead of saying get, well, we can say in layman terms get rid of it. I would just say that it becomes um somewhere out in the outskirts because it's sort of like if I if I focus on my finger pointing at the moon, right? Mm-hmm. At some point, I start to think that my finger is the moon. At some point, I realize that the moon is the moon. And so all of a sudden, my attention goes somewhere that's just happening. You know, maybe another analogy might be if you're looking at the clouds, you think it's cloudy. If you know the sun is hot behind the clouds and you focus on the sun, all of a sudden you realize, okay, the sun's always there. Maybe I'm just looking at the clouds. And what I believe happens is, is that it's like the more time you hang out with the sun, the more it starts to burn the clouds up. And the hotter you get and the brighter you get. And that's when guys are pretty much in a zone state. They're just one big sun. Clouds cannot even penetrate them or they can't really feel it because they're just too bright, right? And they're, they're, their circumference has gotten so big. So I feel like that maybe another word is replaced. I feel like that you replace old programming with new programming. So if you want to say in layman's terms that you can dis, you know, dissolve it or eliminate it, that's fine. But I, the way I like to look at it is that you've just, you've just created a, a new pattern or a new program where you want to be. And I, I, either way, it's, it's, it's a very similar idea. What about um, position players having the yips with this, uh, pretty much get rid of that, not get rid of it, but I mean, be able to manage that as well. To me, as we talked about the other day, the yips, it's just really depends on where the player's at. Are they a week in? Are they a month in? Are they a year in? Um, you know, those are, I, I don't like to pigeonhole anybody into anything because um, 
if you're willing to do the work, I've, I've worked with guys that have it. And if you're willing to do the work, it's amazing um, what transformations you can have. But it takes a lot of work and, a, and it takes a lot of faith. And it takes a lot of um, sort of, I hate to say challenging, but, you know, dealing with, fe- dealing with fear. Um, but it takes a lot of undoing. Because to me, the yips are basically sort of an, an old program that's sort of looping. And so you're, you get in that loop. And then to break that cycle and to break sort of the association and the connection with why the yips are, are happening, um, it, it takes a, a lot of uh, deprogramming, if you will, and a lot of work. But um, I, I've had some really positive results from it, but, uh, but I also know that it really comes down to the individual. You know, it, it just takes, A, it takes a ton of work, and B, um, it just depends on, again, where the athlete's at. So when you say it takes a lot of work, is it just, again, not necessarily time, it's just consistency? Um, both. Like time, I would say like time per day. Yeah, I would say it's more about buying in for the long haul, meaning it might take, you know, a month of working on stuff every day. It might take two or three meditations a day as opposed to, you know, one, <laughs> um, it, it takes a lot of vigilance because you're changing um, an old program. Um, it takes a lot of, of, of really letting go, really just trusting um, kind of a new path. And um, and everybody's different, you know. Everybody responds differently to it. But um, you know, it's just it's sort of like me saying to you, if you had, I I, I don't know if something because you know the yips can tend to be a you know a, a pretty strong. Um, kind of stimuli response program that you, you've sort of created a strong association with. Um, I don't know it would be similar because if someone said that you had a habit of like picking your nails, you could say, well, that's not that hard to break. Maybe smoking cigarettes or something is, is maybe closer, you know, because there's like a physiological connection to the nicotine too, right? It's not just a stimuli response, physical, the sensation of smoking and how that feels. There's actually a chemical release as well and so i would just say well what is it going to take to get someone to quit smoking you know i think i've never used that analogy before and i kind of like it because i feel like everybody knows it's that quitting smoking is not easy it can be done it's just do you have the 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 discipline and 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 are you ready i guess and do you want it badly enough um so i i guess it just the, the, the amount of time is, is just an unknown. Again, it really depends on where it starts. Is it a, is it a, I've had guys that are, are relatively new and it's just sort of starting and you can kind of curtail that, that you can kind of curtail that maybe relative, relatively quickly compared to someone who's maybe had it for a few months or six months or a year. Cause as you know, you know, people can be in denial about the yips as well. Right. Right. Yeah, it's uh, that's a that's a different beast. But I mean, because I know there's going to be some people out there listening to this, um, who who maybe are playing right now and do have the yips. And uh, so I just want to clarify: if you if you you believe that if you put the work in, and you don't know how long it's going to take, but you're 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 willing, you're committed to put the work in for the long haul, that you think that they can, they'll be able to beat it. I do. I do, but I'm a, I'm a huge optimist. I also know that, um, you know, some situations with with 
Look, I also look at it sort of in a, in a, in a very deeper context. I sometimes think that players that have the yips, just as one example, not everybody, but as one example, you know, they may be sabotaging their career a little bit on purpose. They may not really want to play baseball anymore, or they may not want it as badly as maybe somebody else wants it. And so sometimes people will do, will, will do things to sabotage themselves because their, their path is maybe meant to go somewhere else. So I think in that case, um, you know, those athletes may be very tough to get to and really, really change and fix, so to speak. Um, but I do believe I, I had I had one player in particular that I, I feel like was, you know, about as challenging, I think, as you can get. Um, but he was equally as hungry and determined. And I think it took the better part of a year of very diligent work on his part. Very diligent, off the charts, diligent. Um and he got back to a point where he was uh, thriving in professional baseball. Um, and he had this in college. So um, I had another player who I think was in the big leagues at the time, a position player. And he was just starting to get it. And so we did some drills out here in L.A. He came out to L.A. Um, and I think we nipped it in the bud. Um, so I'm very optimistic about players getting through it but again as you know in life man there's just a lot of variables right and <laughs> it's just not so easy to just say that you know I, i'm an optimist i just feel like if someone's willing to do the work and they really do want it badly enough i feel like there's a good chance there really is it just may look it just may take a while and not everybody else, not, not everybody's cut out to do things that maybe make you feel vulnerable and uncomfortable every day for six straight months you know i mean that's 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 not easy um you know what's his name who just retired with uh the colts um andrew, uh, camera, andrew luck from stanford right um sort of a different animal similar scenario to me he got to he got to a point where he just he got tired of the rehab right he got tired of the feeling hurt he got tired of grinding and not you know so that's a very similar scenario to me in a way where he could have still worked out and, and, and maybe played another two or three years and he still may come back and just need a year off. But I respect that. He just got to a point, it just took its toll and he was tired. And so, you know, it might take a unique individual to push, push through the work you need to with, with the yips. But, um, but I feel like it's sort of the old saying, if there's a will, there's a way. And it's not a guarantee, but um, I've seen it. I, I've worked with one young man who may, I may have spent more time with this player than anybody I've ever spent one-on-one -on -one with, with a player. And uh, you talk about an inspiring man. Um, he's, he's, he's a dear friend of mine and, and to this day. And, uh, you know, he's one of the reasons why I feel so strongly about the, uh, the upside to, to working through it. When I know you were talking, I think that guy you're talking about um, is position player. So how would somebody like a position player, the training differ than than someone like as a pitcher? Not really any any not not much at all actually. Okay, it's the action that you have to get them work them through. Um, it's the disruption, whatever's happening, right? That's what you're really 
working them through. And so um, it, it's it's pretty much universal at that point. Yes, we can argue on a mound 60 feet versus third base. You have all sorts of different release points and all that. Or at the end of the day, it's really about getting them to trust and feel and be free and let go of, of old programming. And so that comes down to meditation as well. Meditation becomes a, a massive piece because you're not only, it's not only helping with the roots of the issue and, and doing the, uh, the, the deprogramming, if you will, but also at some point you integrate like visualization and stuff like that to help, you know, regroove the muscle memory, if you will, regroove the feeling. Um, and meditation to me is sort of like <clears throat> step one to, to get the mind, you know, more clear or more relaxed, more disciplined, more quiet, um, more skilled in a way so that you can do things like visualization that can have more staying power and take better. So yes, med when I say meditation, I usually talk, <clears throat> excuse me, more about more of the pureness of just being quiet, being at ease, having the mind, you know, clear the body, loosen up. Um, but within meditation, you can say there's, there's other pieces like, visualization and imagery and um affirmations and stuff like that does any of that uh practice and work like take place with a player having a ball in their hand it could just curious if that's well, what, like some of the stuff that you've incorporated like when, when you want like when you work with that player if like part of it was actually throwing Oh yeah, a lot of it's oh oh yeah. We're, you're on the field pretty much every day. <laughs> okay. If you if you want to work through if you want to work through something like that, yeah, it's 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 not that we got together every day. You know, we did a lot. We did a lot of work together over the course of a year or two, even. Um, but you've got to yeah, you got to go to a net every day. You're throwing every single day for sure. Oh, so you're throwing and, by yourself? Well, it's part of like. It's sort of like seeing a, a therapist. You see the therapist once a week, and then you work on stuff. Now, in a perfect world, I think you should see a therapist if you're really working on something and you want to get to the bottom of it. You should probably see a therapist probably three times a week. And this this is no different than a personal trainer or a nutritionist or you know anything you want to do in life. A hitting coach, right? If you want to get a lot better at hitting and seeing once a week, that's a great start. But if you spend three days with them, it's it's probably better. Seven days is probably great. Now, it doesn't mean you don't need a break, but there also comes a point between logistics, um, you can say even um, fees, consultation fees, you know, everything factors in. So you do your best the time you're with the player. You might see the player. In this case, I probably saw him at some points two, three times a week. But, you know, he's got to be working on this every day, right? And I can't be with him every day. I mean, I could be, I guess, if, if he was, you know, if he, he, was, he or his parents at that point were going to pay me X amount of money and... Not only that, we didn't live down the street from each other. We weren't that far away. But no, no, this is a this is a daily thing. Just like, look, meditation is a daily thing. So whatever you do in life that you want to get better at, it's daily. I mean, you know, as a hitting guy, you're you're not gonna unless you're taking time off in the winter. Um, are, is there ever a day off with your swing or t work or, no. or hitting or BP? I mean. I mean, I'm all for taking a day off to give yourself a break and give your hands a break and give your mind a break. But but no, 
when you're dealing with something like that is this as sensitive as that topic, right? That is something that has to be, you look, look, you have to, you know, the point is you have to really undo some old programming <laughs> and you're, and you're adding a new programming and that, that is a daily application for sure. Is it similar to like hitting where you would start off like doing progressions, like from, you know, a hitting would be like off the tee and then a lot of people go to soft toss and then batting practice. Would it be something similar to that where they start off and it's just throwing by themselves and then, then you bring in a partner and then there's a, a group and then it's a whole team. Yes, there is definitely a progression, but it's, um, it's just not quite as cut and dry as like what you might think in a normal situation. Yeah. There's a lot of factors. There's a lot of stimuli out there. You have to kind of work it based on the person. Um, but yeah, there's steps for sure. Um, but you have to first get to the step of, of throwing with some freedom. I mean, just, just that's step one. And that's just your, your primary goal. And, and then you integrate, or introduce maybe some other things like other people there, you know, or taking it to practice or taking it to the mound. But you just have to, step one is you have to first get the freedom and the relaxation and, and the, the trust and, and, and letting go. Um, you know, how do you allow the old patterns to come up that are maybe causing the hitch and causing the the disruption? You know, working through that in real time is really, really important. So, um, like I said, it's a, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of trial and error. Um, but anyway, that sort of um, gives you at least a little overview to it. Yeah, that's... It's always uh, always interesting. Like you, everyone always says, the game is ninety percent mental. So why wouldn't you f- focus you know a lot more time than most do on the mental part of it? Yeah, for sure. Um, well, Alan, where where could more. someone where yeah. could someone like find uh, where, like what's the best way to get in contact you if someone's interested? Um, easy, man. Just uh, at Jager Sports on Twitter and Instagram. J A E G E R. Um, in the word sports. And then, um, they can go to our website, jagersports.com. There's a contact page there as well. Um, those are, those are pretty much the easiest ways. Gotcha. Alan, really appreciate you coming on again today. Yeah. Thanks a ton for having me on Patrick. I really appreciate it.